Okay, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 36, excuse me, 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age. She has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel said, departed from her. Father, I beg for the grace, the mercy, the ability, the gifting to represent these cherished, Holy Spirit-breathed words through your servant, Luke. Accurately. And in that I pray that we be graced with hearts to cling to and see and embrace and love what is clearly here in this text this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's just uh, go right to it to one of the most significant days and encounters in the history of the world. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. All right. Let's picture what we've seen so far in Luke's narrative. The angel Gabriel 
goes to the very center of the culture. Judea, Jerusalem, the temple to a priest who that day was going to go in behind the curtain, behind the door, and offer the incense representing the prayers of God's people. And so, He appears to him to announce the birth of the forerunner of the Messiah. And thousands of Jews are there waiting for Zechariah to come out. I can't wait to see what God has in store when He announces the conception and the birth of the Messiah. So, six months later, Elizabeth is now pregnant for six months. And the angel appears to an obscure teenage girl in a nothing town in an insignificant region called Galilee. This is not Judea. It's not Jerusalem. It's not the temple. She's not a priest. She's not rich. Pretty much rich and poor. There's not much middle class. It's a poor, working class, surviving town. And Gabriel finds a particular home. And there's a particular 13 to 15 year old girl who's illiterate. And that's who he goes to. She fit God's profile perfectly. Absolute obscurity. She, like thousands of others in this situation, will marry a tradesman, will give birth to a bunch of kids, Raise them. She won't travel very far from home for her whole life. And like thousands of others, she will die a nobody in this nothing of a town in the middle of Galilee. Nowhere place. This is not the way the world thinks. I mean, if we had our way, God, okay, here we go. You're going to announce the birth of this long-awaited King and Messiah. Why not get some Jewish woman, you know, like you did Esther, to, 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 to be married to Caesar and go to her. Or, or maybe Herod, who was technically a Jew, and get his wife. Or, or how about a daughter of one of the leading scholars of the Jewish people there in Palestine, in Jerusalem. Maybe pick from that elite family. That's how we would do it. We'd wait, 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 let's get the camera out so we can get this YouTubed and connect it to Facebook. But God did it quietly. As Paul let us know, as He so often does, He chooses the base things of the world. He chooses the humble things of the world to shame those who think they're wise in their own eyes. So, here she is. She's a virgin. She's never had, at this point, sexual relations with anybody, including 
Joseph. She's still in the betrothal stage. What, what is that? Well, in the culture, the betrothal stage is the first stage of two stages. The Jewish marriage has two stages. The first is when the contract is made between the man and the woman and the families. There is an official contract with official witnesses to it. And then there's financial transaction of the bridal price, etc. When that happens, they don't go home and live together or sleep together. It's like what we call our engagement kind of system. That's the first stage. Then, about a year later, is the marriage ceremony. But, during that time, as we see in the book of Matthew... There's a legal contract, and she officially belongs at that contract to her husband. And it's legal, so much so that if he decides to not go through with that marriage ceremony and consummate it, he has to go through a legal paperwork divorce situation. So, a year later is the ceremony, and he takes her home, and they consummate the marriage This is who He comes to. In the midst of obscurity. I I don't know if it was daytime, if it was nighttime, or what Mary was doing, but bam! Gabriel, the angel, shows up and speaks to her. Verse 28. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. No, He didn't. Only in this sense. Technically, translating, He did that. But it sounds weird, right? We don't do that. And He didn't either. He's saying, How you doing? The one upon whom God is showing much grace. Yeah, you, Mary. The Lord, Yahweh, is with you. That's what He's saying. That's what she's hearing. Oh, favored one means Mary has somehow found grace. She hasn't found something she deserved. God did not look out and say, Wow, (laughs) amazing what she produced in herself that would cause me to come to her. No, oh, favored one, graced one. It's from the word charis, grace. It's what He calls her. She did not merit this. But she was going to get this grace anyway. Verse 29. But she was, no duh, (laughs) greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this was. So, in other words, she's a little frightened. Okay? Scared. And so as angels do in these situations, as we saw last time, they have to. Don't fear. I'm not going to kill you. Don't fear, Mary. Quote, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. It's the word grace. It's not a bad thing, Mary. Grace is coming. And then the angel goes on to explain to her how she, as a virgin, is going to get pregnant and is going to give birth to the long-awaited son of David, the Messiah. Now, we 
You've you got to try to get rid of Christmas for a minute. Because, because we are, and trust me, I'll go right back into it, and I'm going to put up lights, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to sing the song, and I'm going to get a tree. I love it. But, you've got to try to set aside, as you read this text, all of our traditions, and we hear the songs, you see Mary looking like a Roman Catholic nun, and just, just put it aside. This is, a, this is a scared, frightened, normal, 14, 15-year-old teenage girl. Okay, this is what's going on. And the angel goes on to say to her, pick up in verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. So, Mary, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get pregnant. And you're going to give birth. And you're going to call His name Jesus. Or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua. It means God saves, or the Savior, the Deliverer one. Now, it's a common name though. Just like it is in Spanish today. It's a common name. People took the name Yeshua in the culture. But what the angel means here, you're going to call Him God saves, is clearly not common because of what he goes on to tell Mary about this child. Mary hears these words of the angel. She's grown up so far in the synagogue. She has heard Scripture reading after Scripture reading after Scripture reading. She has tons of it memorized in this oral culture. And they certainly know the central prophecy of David. Son, a king will come. She knows this. She's hearing the angel say, somehow this baby is related to that. And so, I don't know, I picture, as she tries to gasp for oxygen, she responded much differently than we saw last week, much differently than Zechariah. She responded with the logical question. Okay. But how? I mean, since I've never had sexual relations, how is this going to happen? Gabriel loved that attitude of faith. And so he goes on to tell her how. And this leads to the central character of this passage. And it's not Gabriel. And it's not Mary. It is the baby in Mary's womb. Gabriel says this is how, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born 
will be called holy. The Son of God. So Gabriel answers the question of how? Simply this way. Here's how. The Holy Spirit. He didn't tell us much more. How is a virgin going to get pregnant? How is the egg within Mary's reproductive system going to be fertilized without human sperm? How is it that the child she's going to give birth to will be called holy? The Son of God. That's what Most High is here. The Son of Yahweh. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and of Moses and of David. How is this going to happen? And He answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how. The power of the Most High will envelop you, will overshadow you, Hear grammar. And therefore, it's a really important word here. Because of this answer, this child will be called holy. That is extremely important here. It shows that the conception of Jesus in a virgin girl is caused by the Holy Spirit. It's mysterious work. Because He'll overshadow you and all that. Therefore, He will be called holy. It shows that the divine sonship of Jesus that is referred to here depends on His virgin birth. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence is what Gabriel's saying. Because of the Holy Spirit's presence and doing something mysterious here. Therefore, the incarnation. Do you know that word? Boy, if you've been a Christian longer than a month, you should know that word. It comes from Latin, incarnation, carne. You know, you just go to the grocery store and you want chili just with beans or do you want it with meat? If you want it with meat, it'll say chili. Con means with in Latin. Carne, with meat, with flesh. When we say incarnation, we mean God becoming flesh. Human. It was this angel's meeting with Mary that the greatest central event in human history began. God incarnated Himself in the womb of Mary. 
The God man was incubating now in the belly of this obscure teenage girl. Let's just pause and think about this for a little bit. What do we mean? We mean that inside of her, it was going to start growing like the baby in Ronnie's growing. Inside of her, what we mean is this one person with two distinct natures. The Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive a person who is the eternal God. And now, because of this, from conception was also now fully human. Jesus is called the Son of God in this text not just because He is humanly of the lineage of King David. That's not why He's called the Son of God. It's not because God had a special mission for this baby. That's not why He's called the Son of God. It's not because He will be morally pure like God. That's not why He's called the Son of God. He is called the Son of God because His very existence, which was long before this ever happened, without beginning, is the very existence of God Himself. His very person is in nature. His essence in His being eternal, meaning without beginning, is the omnipotent, self-existing God. Jesus, with this announcement with Gabriel, did not just come from God. His very being is God. The only God. Creator. This is the great mystery of the Incarnation. Listen to how Colossians 2.9 speaks of this baby in Mary's womb. Just listen, it's really short. For in Him, that baby, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay. God did intervene in the birth of John the Baptist. And it was miraculous with this barren woman, okay? Six months before this. But this day is something radically different than that. 
This in what's happening with Mary and Gabriel is not the creation of a person in the womb of Mary. It was the clothing of a pre-existing person with true humanity, with a true human soul and body. Now the Apostle John, when he, we're in Luke, right? When John does his narrative of the life of Christ, he just cuts to the chase as he starts the whole thing off simply this way. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word, the Logos, the reason, the, 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 the meaning, the purpose of all that is, and that Word was with God. And that Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now listen. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as John says, because he walked with Him, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only, only Son of the Father. This is how they mean it. We will see. Oh, children of God who come to Christ called sons of God? Yes meant in a whole different way than this. He is the only unique, eternal, second person of the Holy Trinity. Set up over in the face of God, the Father is the Son. In the face of the Son is God the Father. By the definition of God Himself. The rest of the Scripture just clearly goes on to say that this Messiah, Messianic, Davidic figure, has come in order to fulfill the Old Testament sacrificial system. That this one in the womb of Mary is the unblemished, sinless, sin sacrifice. He had to be really, I don't know how many many adjectives can I find, truly, no game playing, absolutely, purely human in order to represent the human race as the second Adam and live perfectly on their behalf and die Bearing their punishment. But to do that, he also had to be fully, purely, absolutely in his nature, God. That person. So that that human being 
that we're talking about who hangs on the cross and says, it is finished. How could that pay for the sins of everybody who would ever believe and be saved? Because of the person we're talking about. His value is infinite like no other human being. And thus, the depths to which He plunged and He humbled Himself is infinitely more than every sin that would ever be committed. So if that one were to be punished instead, justice would be satisfied. Listen to how later revelation, later than when Gabriel meets Mary, says this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer writes, We, believers, we we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, but one who in every respect is human, is what he's saying here. In every respect has, as a human, been tempted as we are. Now hear the spotless Lamb, yet without sin. Or in chapter 7, verse 26 of Hebrews, he writes, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Mary does not have all of that, what I just said, figured out. When she's hearing this. She's, she hears the Son of David stuff and she hears, the impossible's going to happen. That's why Luke Gabriel says, with God all things will, will be possible. She says, that doesn't happen. It's not supposed to happen. It's not natural. This is miraculous. She knows that. Somehow, God's fulfillment of prophecy is happening, but she doesn't have her mind all figure this what's going to happen like we do in subsequent revelation as Jesus grows up suffers and dies sends the Holy Spirit and gives it to Paul Peter John the Jews of the first century they had a lot of theology none of their theology says the Messiah is going to they did say the Messiah is going to come and they had different views of that but one of the views was not Yahweh the eternal creator God is going to become a human being in order to be slaughtered bloody on a cross as a sin sacrifice. They did not have that expectation. Mary doesn't have all that figured out. But in hindsight, it's 2020. And it's clear, as the Holy Spirit says through the Hebrew writer in chapter 2, verses 14 and 17. Hear it. Since, therefore, the children... Okay, are, are you one of them? Have you been adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ? If you have, you're one of these. If you haven't, get adopted. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. It's us. We're real humans is what he's saying. Therefore what? He 
Jesus, Gabriel, Mary, this is who He is. He Himself likewise partook of the same thing, became human, so that through death He might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. In verse 17, Therefore He, Jesus, starting in the womb of Mary, had to be made like His brothers, a sinner's, whom He's saving in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God in order to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, one large parenthesis here. This Incarnation, when we speak of the Lord, Jesus Christ, when we speak of the Gospel, and we speak of the substitutionary sacrifice of that man from Nazareth, from Galilee, we mean a true human being. We mean that person who is a true human being is, has been, and has never ceased to be in his nature, not the human nature, his other nature, divine, God. That's a mystery. You will never be able to grab your mind and wrap it around that thought and say, whew, I comprehended it all. It's not going to happen. Any more than you children or us childlike adults can grasp eternity. Because we're finite. We can speak about eternity though. We can, get, we can have some understanding of eternity. Okay, you getting me? We're not saying you can't know nothing. You can get something, but you know that somehow your mind finally goes... Or when you think about God, you can, and you can make comments about God, and you can say, no, that's not what we mean. Poseidon, one of the thousands of Greek gods. No, we're not saying that. Okay, Or we're not saying this. We talk about an eternal God, uncreated, a finite to grasp or comprehend the uncreated, the unbeginning one, the self-existence, is impossible. Except we know when words are spoken, wait a minute, we know we don't mean that. Are you following me here? Okay. I mean, let me, one more example. Can you grasp the biblical truth that there Yes, is, has been, and can be no other than one God. Not two. Not three. Who has eternally existed in three distinct persons? No. But, you ought to be able to distinguish false doctrine if someone says, well, I think it works this way. God's got different hats just like you do, Joe. You're a dad. You know, you're a pastor. 
And you're a guy who plays ball with kids. So you just put different hats on. Oh, that's how God is. The Father, and then He becomes the Son. Then you know from church history, well, I think which backs up Scripture, the church has dealt with that. It's heresy. It's unorthodox. It's outside the bounds. But it doesn't mean you can grasp the Trinity. So, as we, not talking about Trinity, you talk about what we call Christology, meaning the doctrine of Christ, the God man. As you go home, think about this sermon a little bit, you shower, and you're sitting, yes, and you're contemplating, how does that work? Truly God, truly man. Let me just give you three things not to think, because it's already been done before you, and they've already been condemned as, her- condemned as heretics. Okay? So, let's just save it. In other words, we do not mean this when we proclaim the one true person who is eternally in his nature divine took to himself another nature also called humanity. We do not mean that walking the earth a couple thousand years ago was God in a box or in a body in this sense, meaning his divine nature and then just because of this human shell, God who didn't really become human, who didn't really Take to himself something he didn't have before. The human soul. We don't, don't say that. That's not what we mean. Okay? Apollinarius already tried it. <laughs> and it's condemned as heresy. I think rightfully so. Okay? Well, oh, I get it. The God, man, divine becoming human. Okay, Jesus walking. Ah. Oh. There's the divine Jesus and there's the human Jesus. We, we got two persons going on here. That's not what we mean. Nestorius already tried it. And thus, the church had to deal with it 1,500 years ago. It's not what we mean. Okay? Oh, maybe it's this way. The divine, eternal, second person of the Trinity... It's conceived in the womb of Mary. Takes to himself humanity. Okay, yeah, there is a human nature. That's what we mean by nature. I'm human. You're human. We share the same nature. Though we're distinct persons. Okay? Or we talk about divine. I'm not God. You're not God. There's only one God. And there's a nature that is God. The, The one person who is divine in his nature takes to himself another nature in the body and they kind of mix up. You stir them around and make a soup out of them. And you got a third nature. That's not what we mean about the Incarnation. We mean true God, fully God, fully man. Not 50% God, 50% man. We mean one person who since the conception in Mary's womb, since then, this one person, not the Father and not the Holy Spirit, but the Son, has and will forever now exist with two distinct, unmixed natures. I'm going to, I, I debated whether I take, I'm going to take the chance because I'm going to treat us as adults. I'm going to read just a, a, 
a portion of the church back in the year 551 that had to do deal with these three heretical views that came up with pastors and teachers in the church and they start to spread and they get followings and then that's what, ha- what happens. This is, why, this is how the Council of Nicaea in the 300s where heresy comes up and you get the formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity because the church has to realize we know what we've already believed but once you start saying like that we know, no, no, no and the church back then was able to do it to universally get together with all the leading bishops in the, in, in, in the Western world, uh, the Eastern Church and the, and, and the Latin Church at the time, and deal with these issues and come out with a statement. And so I'm just going to read, I might interpret a little bit of the statement from the council in the, from the city of Chalcedon. So this Chalcedonian definition of how not to speak of Christ, I commend it to your thinking. Quote, we then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly Man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, not just body. Consubstantial, meaning co-equal with, co-essential with the Father, according to His Godhood, His divine nature. And co-substantial, co-equal with us, according to His Human nature. Two natures. Inconfusedly, not mixed together. It made a third thing. Two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The distinction of the natures, of divine nature of Christ and His human nature. The distinction of the natures being by no means messed up. That's my word, okay? Taken away by the union in the one person of Christ. No, 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 no. But rather the property, the meaning, the essence of each nature, divine and human, the property of each nature being preserved, or in other words, intact, and concurring at the same time, and still are today, and forever will be concurring in one, not two, one person and one subsistence. Not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him. We've got to move on. But we're not really. Keep that. Right there. And this is why 
Gabriel tells Mary how uniquely great Jesus is. Verses 31 and 32. Behold, you, Mary, will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Be called the Son of God. Not like us. Demons knew with thousands of people and then there's that Jesus of Nazareth. If you come to destroy us before it's time, we know who you are, Jesus, Son of the Most High. They knew. Yeah. Do you love God? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Right here, he's talking about something utterly distinct from that. He's talking about his very being is God. The eternal Son. The writer to the Hebrews, one more time, describes this baby that was in Mary's womb this way. Chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. In these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. The son in Mary's womb was the one, quote, through whom he also created the world. He, this baby, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He, this baby, upholds the universe by the word of His power. Pick it up, verse 32. Gabriel goes on. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father, David. And He will reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, God's people, and of His kingdom, there will be no end. So this is clear. And Mary's getting a good part of this. She had a theology for this. That Jesus, in her womb, is the fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah. Especially of that prophecy 1,000 years earlier to David. And then numerous other times through the prophets after that. About David who is a king. And one of your sons, Solomon on Denarine, that line will stay alive. And one from your loins will sit on your throne and it will be an eternal throne. They know 2 Samuel 7, 12-13 well. Quote, to David, before his death, 
this was said by God. When your days are fulfilled, David, and you lie down with your fathers, meaning dead, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and he will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so Gabriel says to Mary, your son Jesus has David as his father. And he's going to sit on the throne. His throne will have no end. Like the prophecy of David, his throne will be, his reign will be forever. All the earthly ministry of Jesus, the essence of the gospel and of Christianity, then and today, is directly related to the Hebrew Scriptures. All over the place. Directly coming out of what we call the Old Testament. A number of years later, the Apostle Paul would write his great magnum theological opus. He would write his fullest account that he got directly from Jesus about the meaning of it all. And he starts it off this way in Romans chapter 1. Listen to Paul. Years later, the Gospel of God, the good news, the good message from God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now hear Paul. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. The very first Christian sermon on the day of Pentecost, Peter got the privilege to preach it. And in that sermon he says, concerning David, and David, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. What we're seeing today by the mercy of God through the pen of Luke What a day. What a day where God sends His angel to an obscure teenage girl in an obscure town. Forsaken place of Galilee. But there is a warning about this for us. And I really want to say There's a warning, yes, for us adults, 
but especially you teenagers who are so blessed and graced by God to have had and are having Scripture quoted to you since you can remember. There's a warning for you, for all of us in the culture we live in and growing up in a Christian culture, but even in a Western culture, with this story especially, because of Christmas and the songs and the music and the warning is this. Don't let familiarity with what you read here this morning blind you to the personal significance of it. I just finally finished writing after 30 years (laughs) my 13 page uh, conversion experience account. I lift a couple sentences out of the first paragraph. Throughout my childhood, I assumed the existence of God and that Jesus Christ was God who became a human being in order to die for sinners. I believed that He was the one and only Savior of the world. After all, that is what I was taught. That was my culture. I went to church. I took communion. Yet, I was not a Christian. Of course, I didn't know I was unsaved. Most of us don't know we are unsaved until our eyes are opened by the miracle of new birth. And we awaken as believers who have a personal, intimate faith in Jesus Christ. End quote. So as I close, I just want to say, to all of us again, this glorious historical happening. Hear the significance of it afresh. This baby in Mary's womb is going to grow up and is going to be a carpenter for years. And then at age 30, he's going to leave that and go into his public ministry. And he's performing miracles after miracle and healings and they're stunning the people. He's fulfilling Hebrew Old Testament prophecies one after the other. And he's preaching and he's teaching and at the core he is being very clear about teaching who he is and why he came. As Mark records in chapter 10, verse 45, Me, Jesus, the baby from Mary's womb, came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, sums it up this way. Though He, Jesus, this baby conceived in Mary's womb, though He was in the morphes, the Greek word, the form, the, the nature of God, 
He did not count His equality with God, which He is, as a thing to be grasped. What that means is, He did not, the second person of the Holy Trinity, did not consider His eternal equality with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit as something to prevent Him from what's coming next. He did not regard His equality with God as a thing to be be held on to, grasped, but made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of humanity or men. And being found in appearance. Where am I? And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the bloody, torturous death of the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted this man and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I don't have time to preach this passage. But what he is saying, the name here is not Jesus. The name is the name God revealed to Moses. Who do I say sent me? I am. Sent you. From which that to be verb in the Hebrew, we get the personal name that God revealed Himself to Israel. Yahweh. Yahweh. When you read your Old Testament, a good translation, you will see, when you're reading Psalms, for instance, hundreds of times, the word in English, Lord, translated with all capitals. That means, oh, the word in Hebrew behind that is the personal name of God that the Jews would never say, Yahweh, or however it was to be pronounced, Yahweh. As opposed to Adonai, when you see capital L, and then just small case, O-R-D. To let you know, these are totally different words in the Greek. Let's go back. Therefore God has highly exalted this human being, And bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of this guy, this human, Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, He came. The first time as the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He came to die in order to remove God's pure, just, holy wrath from wretched sinners that will be saved. It is the cross. It is at the cross that the God-man Unites 
undeserving wretched sinners. Not with God's wrath. He moves that away and unites with God's eternal, saving, fatherly love. It is there at the cross where Yahweh, where Almighty God made the way to forgive sinners without Himself becoming unjust in doing so. Because He meted out His perfect justice on a sinless substitute. His wrath, His anger, His perfect holy anger was full force against this baby down the road in Mary's womb. Gabriel came to announce the birth of this substitutionary sacrifice. And what grace this is for everyone who recognizes how sinful they are and how undeserving and how we have nothing to offer to Jesus' equation. And the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul, what do I do? The answer is not, try to sit around and figure out if you're chosen or not. That's not the biblical answer. That's none of your business. The answer is God's grace saying, believe in Him. Embrace Him. Open your heart to that good news, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is simply clear. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that, here's the answer, who can be saved? Whoever believes. Whosoever believeth on him will not perish in their sin, but will have eternal life. Gabriel was clear with Mary. He will, this one, reign forever. He came the first time through the womb of Mary. He's coming a second time in the clouds on that great and terrible day. You can bow joyfully now or be forced to bow later as Philippians just said to us. This Jesus will say before the cross one day, down as we see in Matthew, those who reject the Son. Jesus said, I will say, depart into everlasting fire. But He'll say to the sheep, enter, enter in to the kingdom which has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
Let's sing it. Come. We who believe will dance upon streets that are golden. Whatever that represents, it's going to be good. Lord, thank You for this gift of the Incarnation. For the gift of our sin sacrifice. For the gift of the eternal God becoming truly human to reign as King forever. We thank You for the gift and the miracle of new birth that could cause any of us to bow joyfully to Him and do that work here this morning. Our need be done to the glory of Jesus. Amen.